Welcome back, fans of the Volley Chief. Exciting new episode coming to you today. We're uh, getting continuing with our fire safety theme after Amelia uh, rocked the house. We got a lot of compliments on Amelia's show, so that was very exciting. Uh, I have a longtime friend. I mean, God, we've, I hate to say it, we go back to the 90s, so uh, that kind of hurts uh, on the show today. So he's Tim Willis. He's the fire marshal of Seymour, Connecticut, Seymour Borders Derby. So I'm going to give Tim a minute to introduce himself, give us a little bit of his bio. So, Tim, the floor is well, yours. Uh, thanks for having me to this uh, prestigious podcast here. Uh, uh, my name's Tim. I've uh, known you how long, Dave? At least 25 years, uh, probably longer back when you were a little skinny kid. Yeah, at um, least. So I've known you years and years uh, <laughs> back from Volley Fire and EMS. Uh, I started volunteering in the late 90s and... Uh, I uh, went to UNH, uh, as a lot of kids around here who want to go in the fire service do, and then uh, I started in the fire marshal's office part-time back in 2007, and then in 2009, I got hired full-time. Uh, I've been in the office for the past 15 years, uh, and uh, the past five of which I have been the fire marshal. So uh, we're a small office, only two full-timers and a secretary, but uh, you know we, uh, we work well, and uh, we work hand-in-hand with the fire department uh, here in town. Even though we are separate entities, I mean, we're, we're really one at the end of the day. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people uh, don't understand is that a lot of the communities around here, the fire marshal is actually like a, a separate division, if you will, from the city. They're not part of the uh, the fire department. So it is, like you said, there is some, everyone works well together. The Probably the only time that you have any type of is budgeting, right? When the budget, yeah. you're, you're off doing your thing, they're off doing uh, theirs. Exclu- but Tim, just oh, uh, give us a little bit of information. Uh, about about the ahead. fire department? Give us a little bit of uh, information on yeah, about Seymour. So, uh, well, first we got to talk about the town itself. We're an old mill town, like everybody, everyone else in the valley. Uh, we've been uh, the town of Seymour since 1850, and uh, the Seymour Fire Department actually started back in uh, 1882. Um, it was uh, first uh, when it first came to be as a fire company, uh, as everywhere in the valley and the nation for that matter. They started out with social clubs. Um, it was a social club in 1882 after the Ting Opera House fire. And uh, the very, very first name of the Seymour Fire Department was the Ocean Fire Company. And uh, it really came because uh, they bought a fire truck and it said Ocean on the side of it. So uh, why change a good thing? That lasted about three months. And then they became the uh, Humphreysville Hook and Hose Company, which uh, actually paid homage to the original name in town uh, of Humphreysville. And then uh, here, I'm turning off my camera right now. No Stand problem. by. You don't want to see the where it froze. Oh boy. Uh, there we go. You good now? You good okay. now, Dave? So, uh, so yeah, we 
1882, we became uh, a few months in, we became the uh, Humphrey Hose Hook and Ladder Company. And uh, that lasted for about two years. And then uh, in 1884, they changed to Company 2 to honor the first company um, and became Citizens Engine Company Number 2, which is uh, kind of unique because 60 uh, some odd years later in 1947, Great Hill formed and actually took the... Uh, the company one designation, even though there had been a, a company one approximately 60 some odd years earlier. Um, and then we fast forward to current time. Uh, the fire department does not first respond to EMS. So just on the fire side, we do between 550 and 600 runs a year. Um, not super busy, but busy enough. Uh, we have approximately 100 volunteers in town um, and probably 60 that are fairly active. So uh, we're, we're pretty good on that and uh, much like the rest of the valley for whatever reason despite my best efforts we tend to burn just like everywhere else around here so we uh we definitely have some uh unique situations much like this area uh compared to the rest of the state so that's kind of why we're here now yeah it's yeah it's it's you know i you know me i might have love of history the Seymour it was at one point, you know, all part of Derby and the Humphreys real name is because uh, David Humphreys, he was George Washington's aide de camp, uh, started a, a, a community. He was one of the first people to, you know, build a mill, build the housing for it. And that was the forefront of Seymour. So it is, uh, we always joke and say a lot of things go back to Derby. And in this case, this one does. It was uh, what, like like most of the valley at one point was part yeah, of Yeah, he, uh, he brought his mill in here um, and actually. Now, you're... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, Come go, on, go, you go, got go. me on here and you expect me not to talk constantly. Uh, you know, this is, this is going to be a tough one, Dave. So uh, Humphrey actually brought all his sheep up here and this was where his mill was. And uh, in 1850, the town of Seymour wanted to change their name. They didn't want to be Humphreysville anymore. And that exact year, um, Governor Seymour actually put a moratorium on name changes for towns because I guess everybody was changing their names. So uh, they wanted to be the town of Richmond, and they had all the paperwork to be Richmond, Connecticut, and the governor put the kibosh on it. So they're like, well, actually, we were thinking about Seymour. And uh, lo and behold, he said, well, I'll let that one slide. So that's how we became Seymour. And uh, Right, that one. Yeah, that one's good. I'll let that one. So. Uh, so Tim, you're, you know, you said two man office, how many buildings, you know, cause Seymour's kind of bedroom community. Uh, like you mentioned, old Milltown, downtown area, a lot of multifamily queen Anne's big balloon frames. But once you get out of downtown, I mean, even in our lifetime, there's been a lot of development, a lot of new houses in Seymour. So what do you have for like, uh, you know, how many buildings, I guess you could say around or how many inspections do you do you think you have? A year? So uh, for uh, for multifamilies, which is really our, 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 you know, bread and butter, we have approximately 350. And then when you start getting into inspectable properties between businesses, other types of commercial structures, we have about another 600. So about a thousand, which um, seems like a lot. But when you start comparing to comparable communities in this area, um, uh, just to speak to Ansonia and Derby, I mean, I know they're talking thousands just of apartment buildings. And uh, we never want to neglect any of them, but uh, people die in house fires. That's where people die statistically. So that is our main focus, getting in those apartment buildings as often as possible. Now, what led you to the fire marshal path? Um, that's a great question. I really don't have that great of an answer. Um, 
I, I can say a lot of it dates back to our fire marshal back in the 90s, Mike Driscoll, still a good friend of mine. Uh, I don't see him quite as much as uh, I'd like to. He's down in Florida, but uh, Mike was the fire marshal here. Uh, he started as uh, actually a paid deputy back in the 80s under Bob Danes, and Mike was the fire marshal from 1990 to 2000, and uh, I liked the investigation aspect of it. And uh, it's kind of hard to do investigations in the smaller communities unless you're the fire marshal. So that's really what drew me into it. It's putting a puzzle back together. Um, but when you talk uh, fire investigations, unfortunately, uh, it's like having a puzzle without all the pieces. So it's uh, it's definitely a game changer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would add, you know, I want to do a round table one time and bring in, you know, a lot of the older, I hate to say old guys, but like, you know, Tommy DeMarco from Shelton, like Joe Matisovich, but Mike Driscoll, there's, you know, true, true gentleman professional. He, he I, I would say influenced my, you know, my fire service career because I was working in Seymour on the ambulance in the late nineties when he was the fire marshal and, you know, real good guy. I, I'm glad you brought his name up because, you know, you, you think about all these people that throughout our careers, throughout the time that we've done this, that, you know, maybe you've only interacted with them for a few years or a few months, but that you remember them and they, they guided you a lot. And I, I would definitely say that Mike, you know, always growing up when we had a fire in Seymour and we would get the camera assignment from Pa, it was go up there, find Mike Driscoll and tell him you need to take a picture. Yeah. I mean, uh, your family history, having known you for so long, knowing that uh, the the PA side of things, uh, some of your photos came into play uh, when we go back to the former fire marshals in this town, going back all the way into the 60s with uh, with Louis Andrews Sr. and with the Agellos and, uh, you know, even with uh, Pete Wolf Sr., really going back to our first fire marshal in the early, early 60s. So uh, I'm sure PA was there for most of the time taking photos at those. And uh, uh, back in the day when it was just, if you didn't know, oh, it's electrical, um, you know, back the, uh, the very first beginnings of fire investigation uh you know it was uh that's when it was uh they used to call it an art and uh un unfortunately we were our own worst enemies calling it that because it wasn't it was science even back then so uh that's really uh you know i i, I always equate it to i said it earlier that puzzle where you don't have all the pieces and that's what i like doing is putting that puzzle back together Yeah, now you, and you bring up a, a great point about family. So, you know, obviously my family well documented, but you're you're in the same boat. I mean, you know, your 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 dad's a long time, you know, your dad was a long time member, your brother like it's it's a family thing for you it's, too. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's a family tradition. My father started volunteering back in Ansonia in the early 70s. And uh, I wish I had this really deep, meaningful story on why he started, but he worked uh, just like a vast majority of the valley. He worked at Farrell's. And uh, when those horns went off, those guys got to leave. And he said, well, I'm sticking around doing the work and they're leaving. I'd rather go have fun with those guys. And uh, that's really what piqued his interest back in the early 70s. And he was a member of the Websters and then a member here in, you know, um, at Citizens since uh, 1976. Um, I got involved in the junior program in the 90s. My brother was a volunteer in 1996. Uh, he joined and he volunteered up until the time he passed away of, uh, of cancer in 2002. And uh, not to really change topics, but I mean, I know you were good friends with Chris and uh, he, uh, he passed away young from, uh, from skin cancer. Um, and, and now looking back, knowing what we know now, you got to kind of question, uh, you know, what could have led to that, uh, that diagnosis and that illness. Yeah, I mean, it, it and it hit us right because we were young. I mean, it was kind of I, it was kind of one of the first times that we got I, I'd say like a mortality check, 
you know, and uh, I, I do think about him a lot. I mean, I, I laugh. I, I obviously, as you know, I met your brother through my brother-in-law and it, uh, it was like they were friends. So it, it, I kind of hung out in the, the fringes of the circle, but yeah, I, you, you're right though. You wonder nowadays, I mean, with all the, what we know now, we didn't know back then. And, uh, it, it is, it's one of those things you wonder, you wonder. Yeah. And it, it, and, but you did, you grew up in the firehouse. I mean, the, the citizens, the, the building, beautiful old firehouse, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stonework. And then what's actually neat about the citizens is when they outgrew the old firehouse, you know, on, like a lot of places, usually they just level it, push it aside and build a new one. And you guys were lucky enough that they, they just put an addition on. So you, you have that original old firehouse still. And I, that's one of the things I love about the citizens, the spiral staircase, all the old wood, the, the, it's just a, a beautiful old firehouse. Yeah. The, uh, the architecture there, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It goes back to the 1884. Um, they had the wooden house there and they, uh, they, the original one got built just prior to 1900. Um, there was actually a lightning strike in the early 1900s for the fire. We have some great photos of the crack in the tower and, uh, they managed to, uh, refurb it, rebuild it, stay in place. And, uh, I, I know a lot of this podcast focuses on the family and the, the tradition and I, I really think that just having that history and going through there and seeing what it once was and being grateful enough to still be in that building, um, that they've maintained it. And uh, I look now and I say that we've kind of outgrown everything and one day we're probably going to have to move. And it's uh, it's I hope it's not something that I see in my lifetime, but uh, it's uh, the, the memories are there. Yeah. yeah and, it, and that's one of the things that I, I, you know, again, we love about the valley, right? The old. The tradition, the old, I mean, I, I, no disrespect to the citizens, but I still think the Eagles is the coolest firehouse in the Valley. Uh, you know, again, we're going to have Anthony coming up soon. So that ought to be an interesting podcast. Uh, but it, I think that's probably, would you agree? I mean, I, I know you got a little bit of favoritism. Oh, I'm right there with you. I like the Eagles. I'm right there with you, Dave. I mean, it, it comes down to those two, and it's not to disrespect any of the other older houses in the Valley. Um, you know, there's kind of the hidden gem in the fountains that everybody forgets about. That's another great older one. But uh, I'm right there with you that the Eagles has that look and, uh, you know, that history right there in it. Yeah, so now let's let's back topic to your uh, your specialty. So fire investigation, you, you, you know, as a fire chief running an incident, the fire marshals usually right by your side or the fire investigators, you're, you're walking that fine line. Uh, you know, just yesterday we had a, I went to a room and content job and it's that conversation that goes on up on the fire floor of what are we opening up? What do we want to leave for the fire inspector? You know, obviously I, I, I've dabbled in fire inspection. I, I am a fire marshal. I really haven't done much. Uh, I spent a couple of years doing it, but you know, I'm from the suppression side, so I'm open it all up and let the guy figure it out. Uh, so give me your side of it. What do you, what do you, what would you tell new fire officers about the preserving the scene? Well, it's the double-edged sword and I lot, a lot of it, I think um, comes back to that dreaded R word, that rekindle that word. We, we hate saying out loud that you never want. So uh, what do we do? We just overhaul, overhaul, overhaul. So we don't have to worry about coming back. And that's where, uh, you know, you'll hear the guys on my side. I, I think it was probably coined someplace else, but uh, I know our state police use it all the time. The, uh, the evidence eradication team, you know, you send the fire guys in and we'll, uh, 
we'll destroy everything we can take it out wet it down and you know the worst feeling in the world is a fire investigator is when you show up and everything's out in front lawn um you know it's it's you're trying to piece your scene together so it's it's a fine line and i i one thing and this is where i'm going to uh pat the seymour fire department on the back is uh, i think they do a great job um maybe they're just tired of having to deal with me but of calling me inside and let me take a peek before they overhaul or uh, let me snap a couple photos or at least kind of uh, taking a mental picture for themselves of, hey, this is what it looked like before they took every piece of sheetrock out or the cabinets out. Um, for that new officer, the biggest bit of advice is if you can wait a second, hold on. Um, in this day of property loss and insurance, most of the time, even a small room and contents fire is going to put somebody out of their house for quite some time, and uh, there's going to be extensive overhaul. So at the end of the day, who cares if it takes another five minutes? Let it smolder and uh, let the fire marshal, the investigator, whoever it is, take a quick peek, see what's going on, maybe snap a couple photos, because the last thing you want is that little, uh, you know, routine room and contents fire to turn out to be, you know, a an arson homicide investigation or something much greater that it didn't look like originally. And, uh, you're the one that spoiled that scene. And, uh, you know, in Connecticut and even in the Valley, we're not immune to those types of, uh, crimes. So, uh, it's, uh, just take the extra second as the officer and, uh, give the fire marshal a little bit of a chance just to take a peek. And the best thing I can do in, in what I do in return is clear them as soon as possible. As soon as I get in say, nope, I'm good to go. And you guys can return back to service. I think that's the fair trade-off. Yeah. Cause it is, it's like, I mean, and I've done that, you know, we, there's been times where you're, you're in the room, you, you knock the fire down, you know, you, you're, and you're like, Hey, you know, the marshal's there. You know, small advantages of smaller communities. A lot of times the marshal's in town. He responds a lot quicker. I mean, at work, you can wait 45 minutes for a marshal to get there. Uh, but usually, you know, the, again, here, uh, Derby and Sonia Seymour, Shelton, they're, they're on the first alarm. So they're getting a good, a good picture of what's going on. And, and I agree. It, it doesn't hurt to say, stop, let them come in here. You know, nowadays it's an iPad. It's your phone. You're running, you know, you're not setting cameras up. You run in, snap a few pictures. Okay, go ahead. And I, I think that's probably the the best trade off. I appreciate the fact that you said uh, let them go because I think you know from personal experience in other places there are some fire investigators that kind of I think they enjoy keeping the fire companies there for a longer period of time for some reason. But I I agree it is a it is a good trade off and I and it's a, a good time to stop. It, let everyone stop for a sec. And, and we're not, we're not advocating, you know, if it's still burning, if it's, if it's moving up a wall, obviously you got to put the fire out, but there is that, that few moments where you, you can let the fire inspector in, you can let the marshal in, let them take a few pictures, let them see the bed was here. The dresser was there. The heater was there. Okay. You know, now we're going to get the bed out. We're going to get the dresser out, but he was able to, to look at it. And it, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's something we don't train a lot on. You know, I always, when I was uh, fire chief, I would bring in where we, you mentioned them earlier. We're fortunate in Connecticut. Our Connecticut state police handle the, the state fire marshal side of things. And they're a tremendous uh, group of guys. Uh, Paul Maku, who was the, he correct me, right? He heads the, the fire marshal. Well, unit. Uh, Paul is the acting sergeant of the unit. Yep. Oh, the acting commanding officer. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, acting and, commanding and officer. Abs absolutely, you know, incredible asset. Uh, you know, an incredible investigator. 
Uh, I unfortunately had the pleasure of meeting him through uh, Mitch and Steve, the, the Elmwood Ave fire in Bridgeport. He was uh, head in that investigation and he, he, you know, that's how I met him. And he had to interview all of us. And it was great because he, he, you, you didn't know, right? Like here, here, we just had this horrific incident. We lost two of our guys. Now you got to sit down with the state cops and you never felt like you were with a cop. You actually felt like you were with a fireman. And that's kind of what made us, you know, rely on him and trust him and, and tremendous asset. And those guys, I, I derailed there. I saw, I'm sorry, <laughs> but they, they do a good job of, of helping. And they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're probably one of the few, and Tim, you've dealt with them a lot. They're probably one of the few public safety agencies that are very highly regarded and have zero ego. Yeah. Yeah. All egos are checked at the door, especially in that unit. Um, um, you know, believe it or not, in Connecticut, we only have a, a small little group of uh, men and women there that uh, cover the entire state. And not that we're this uh, monstrous state, but, uh, you know, just yesterday there was a fatal fire I saw on the news in Glastonbury. So uh, we're not immune to it. Um, I think the statistics that I've seen just in January alone were on the 29th today. And uh, I think we're up to 11 or 12 uh, fa- uh, fatalities, um, with a couple of those being multi-fatalities, unfortunately. So uh, they, those guys are the guys and girls are fantastic. Um, they check their egos at the door and uh, they're some of the best in the world. I mean, there's there's a reason that. Um, you know, our training seminars and things like that get people from all over the country because uh, we're providing some of the best tra- uh, training and we have some of the best investigators out there. So, Right. And that's a great point, the training, because they in Connecticut, they'll come, you know, provide you with training. It, it's a great drill opportunity. Reach out to your local, you know, fire marshal, your local fire investigator and say to them, hey, can you, you know, do a class? on how to, how not to disturb the scene, how not to destroy the evidence. And I think that's a, a link that we sometimes forget because you take fire one, right? It's a, it's a blow through chapter in fire one. And uh, that's kind of it. Most departments don't do any more training with the members. And so I, I, I mean, I'm sure any fire marshal would be totally fine coming in and giving a class on, on how, like you said, not to eradicate all the Yeah, evidence. and especially this time of year for all our volley chiefs out there listening, for all our company officers out there listening. Um, these cold nights in the winter when you're not doing your ice water and your water rescue and you're, you're not shoveling hydrants, um, it's a great time of year to have that drill where you're inside watching, you know, going through some slides and, and looking at before and afters in ways you can, uh, you can make our lives easier because, uh, uh, I, I, I've gone back to it a bunch of times, that puzzle without all the pieces, you know, try to leave as many pieces in the pile as possible so we can put them together and, uh, you know, just good observations. That's the second part I should have said earlier for company officers is uh, if something doesn't seem right, there's probably it's probably not right. I mean, we're we're a bunch of dumb firemen, right? We uh, we we look around and see what we see and then just move on from there. So um, I, I think in my experience, Firemen are really, really good at recognizing that there's something wrong. They're really, really good at saying, hey, this isn't right. We're really, really bad at passing that information along to someone that can do something with it. Um, You wouldn't believe how many times I've done fire investigations where, uh, you know, something's come to light six hours later, eight hours later, three days later. And all of a sudden, oh, so-and-so saw that or so. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, we get back and uh, the guys just want to get the trucks back in service. And on the volley side, you want to get washed up and go home. 
and you don't always relay that information. So it's not so much the recognition. It's not so much doing the right thing. It's sometimes just passing that information along. And then speaking of training, if you, if you want to switch hats, uh, you know, you're, you're still involved heavily, the Valley fire school, another uh, good organization we have in the Valley. You're, uh, you know, that you're running regional fire school, fire one, fire two programs. Um, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's great that we have training available and, uh, you know, we're fortunate in Connecticut being a small state, we still have a bunch of, uh, regional fire schools that all put out great products as well as a lot of the independents that, uh, I mean, just are doing a great job now. There's so many out there that you're getting such a, a wealth of knowledge, whereas probably 10, 15 years ago, you had a, I don't want to say a limited pool, but you had these great instructors that were teaching in-house and that was it. And now uh, you're getting the knowledge from all over the place. And, uh, you know, just in little old Connecticut, we have a lot of different, uh, a lot of different types of communities. Um, we range from obviously very, very rural to very urban that you're familiar with. And then a lot of the in-between suburbia. So uh, it's great to have those aspects. Um, you know, here in the Valley, we're fortunate that we uh, were able to run a lot of firefighter ones and firefighter twos and get people ready. And then uh, one of the things that I really think is great about this area is that in all these houses represented all the way, you know, in the Nogtuck Valley, you have all these great instructors and, and guys who, uh, you know, volley there and then have career jobs elsewhere that are able to pass that along in-house so we can we can get you you know into the race but the your companies can definitely push you over that finish line so now for the valley school tell me why ryan hart is the best instructor you have <laughs> i mean when, when you when you have talent like that with a family history and uh 20 plus years of experience right here um how could you not want to learn from them Yeah, I, you know what's funny is uh, Ryan. I actually, when I did the episode with Thode, we talked about the game well system, and I I had comments, I had feedbacks about people asking me more questions about game well systems and how they work. So I I said to Ryan, I'm gonna probably have to have you on because the you know the expert game well people are are not getting any no, younger. No, no. And um, you know. Yeah, so I, I said, like, we're, I think we're going to have to do an episode on the game. I, I think you do. I, I believe I have an AFD, what is it, Truck 10 or uh, whatever the designation was for the cherry picker. I think I have one yes. of those shirts <laughs> laying around somewhere um, going quite a ways back. But, uh, you know, just another example of the uh, the Valley being a little different and having functional game well boxes up until not very long ago. No, I don't know if you know this, but the night we went to the city and told them we were shutting down. We had a fire called in by a game well box. Literally, like, like you couldn't have scripted it. The person ran out of their house, didn't have their phone and pulled the box. And it was like, here we are two hours earlier telling city hall, Hey, we really don't need these things we haven't used one in 20 years. And as you know, always happens it, it, that night, uh, someone pulled the box and it, it, it was kind of funny because it was like that, you know, that would have a, a right? fitting end to it. You know, it's uh, I'm, I miss seeing them out on the streets. I mean, it's nice to go over your buddy's house and see them in their basements on the walls or go in the local firehouse and see one, you know, cleaned up. But uh, I mean, I have one that I still have to sandblast, but uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of a sad fact that you're, they're a thing of the past for the most part. Yeah. 
So uh, that's about it. We're coming up on the, the half hour mark. Uh, anything else you want to add in closing? No, uh, I normally, uh, everybody busts my chops anytime I'm on the news as the public information officer. I end everything with, uh, you know, smoke alarm, save lives. But it's uh, it's not trite. It's, it's not a lie. It's uh, it, just in my little town in the past 15 years, I can tell you of at least a dozen instances where uh, we'd be uh, calling the uh, medical examiner down if it wasn't for working smoke alarms. So uh, smoke alarms, save lives, guys. All right. So this is Tim Willis, the fire marshal of Seymour, Connecticut. Uh, thanks, Tim. And, and as always, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you soon somewhere out there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is David Leonard, the Volley Chief. We'll be uh, posting this. It'll be it'll be posted tomorrow. So you'll uh, you'll hear it on Tuesday. And as always, uh, like and subscribe. Follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Volley Chief. We now have a YouTube channel. It's uh, the Volley Chief. And we posted our first YouTube video of Buddy's Basement Dwelling episode uh, last week. So this will be up there, too. And, Tim, thank you again. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks, Dave. FD1's back in service. Command's terminated.